0: Thank you. you. may be seated, and at this time, uh, dismiss the children to Children's Church if there are any that I see a, a couple. There maybe some that meet in the hallway as well, but it is great to be able to have uh, a time of worship with y'all this morning. Thank you for coming out to be a part of our service, and Hannah, thank you for reading the scripture for us this morning. Obviously, Luke chapter 15 is a familiar passage, and we're going to take a deeper look at that this morning. You know, every sermon that I preach is intended to reveal the Word of God to the people of God, but sometimes it takes on different forms. Often the goal of a sermon is to bring about some type of behavioral modification. The purpose is often to inspire others to leave a certain habit or a sinful lifestyle behind. Today, my goal is not so much about behavioral modification, but rather the goal of today's message is simply to change your perspective on something incredibly important. The body of Christ needs to know this. Have you ever wondered about how God feels about you? I'm going to take a guess that most of us today have at least questioned, does God even care about my existence? Is God looking at me and thinking, what a disappointment? Or is God looking at me and, and he is pleased with what he sees? It is an important question. How does God perceive you? Once you understand that God exists and who he is, that he is our Creator our sustainer of life, and will therefore likely have some considerable say about our future. Once we get to that point, the whole matter of what he's like and how he feels about you becomes incredibly important because your life ultimately is in his hands. And on top of that, our view of God and what he thinks of us will determine how we will live our lives. I told you that today's message is not about behavioral modification, but the reality is your view of God will impact the way you live your life. If we believe that he is an angry God with his heart set on our destruction, then we will run as far away as we can to hide from his wrath. Perhaps we will become like Jonah, who thought he could run from God, only to find that there was no place to hide. He posed the rhetorical question, where can I go to hide from your presence? Or we might determine that we can win God's approval by trying hard to make right choices in order to please him. In other words, We wanna become good enough for him. Well, that is an endless battle that you will never win. See, God has set the standard on holiness and goodness. And as much as you try, you will never be able on your own to live up to his standard of goodness. I'm so grateful for the grace of God that makes up where I fall short. If we believe that God is indifferent and apathetic toward us. We might deem him to be irrelevant within our lives and so decide that we must find our own way apart from him. There are no doubt many who would fit this description in our culture and society today. I'll do it my way. But if we believe that God cares, and he cares deeply about our lives, and is even merciful and compassionate, and he wants the best for us, well, then we might seek his mercy and his plan for our lives. How you view God matters significantly. So how can we know what God is like and how he feels about us? Well, there's no better example, there's no better authority on this than Jesus of Nazareth. By common consensus, the greatest man who ever lived, who was attested by God to be the son of God, by his signs, wonders, and the miracles that he did, and by his own resurrection from the dead, he overcame not only life, he overcame death. He had been sent by the Father, and he is one-third of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus has good news for us this morning. In Luke 15, which again, Hannah read to you earlier, he assures us that the God of creation cares deeply for you and me. In fact, he is crazy about us and joyfully and compassionately forgives us when we turn to him through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to let that thought sink in for just a moment. Because it can truly be a life-changing thought. The true God who is in charge of everything, who created you, he is crazy about you. And he will joyfully and compassionately forgive you when you turn to him through Jesus. You want to know what God thinks about you? He loves you. You ever love someone so much that it made no sense at all? Maybe it was your child. You loved that child like, man, if, if, if you had nothing else in the world but that child, that was enough. That's God saying, I love you in that way. I would give everything for you so that you can have all that you need. That is the message that Jesus provides for us in what we often refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to look at that passage a little bit later. Obviously, this whole chapter is about the lost and the found. Jesus had just finished sharing his exacting demands for anyone who wanted to be his disciple in Luke chapter 14. Well, today we're in Luke chapter 15. And he finished his instructions with these words, he who has ears to hear let them hear. That sounds really insignificant, almost like something that we should just skip over because it really doesn't apply to us. But the truth is those words are incredibly important. This is an open invitation. It is all inclusive. He's not just talking to the religious leaders or even the faithful Jews that day. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what follows this open invitation to everybody only makes sense. According to the first verse that Hannah read to you, we read that now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. What a fantastic response. Jesus tells them, anyone who can hear this, anyone, anyone who has ears, everyone in the room have ears? this was for you. This was for the tax collectors. We're talking about the worst of the worst. We're talking about the most hated people in their culture, and typically with pretty good reason. Not only were these individuals who had betrayed their own people by serving the Roman government, collecting the taxes from the Jewish people, But often, they didn't have any problem with taking a little extra for themselves, which literally means they were stealing from their brothers. So yes, they were hated by everyone in the religious room. In fact, even the unreligious hated these tax collectors. Their hatred was viewed as reasonable. You look at what they've done, and you think, well, they deserve to be hated. They certainly wouldn't deserve grace. Yet I remind you of Jesus' words. Anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let me put this in perspective for you. I had a gentleman in a previous church whose daughter was killed in an automobile accident. She was in the passenger seat. The driver had been acting like a fool. He lost control of his vehicle. He was fine but the daughter was not. Can you imagine how bitter this gentleman could become toward this other driver? Now add to the fact that the driver of this vehicle, the one who caused the daughter to be killed, also attended our church. It would be hard to see this man each Sunday without also having a sense of disgust at his mere presence. Or maybe this is too soon as we've just gone through another election day and we're still awaiting the results from some of those elections. But imagine your most despised politician walking in and sitting down right beside you this morning. What would you do? Does anybody get up and move to another seat? Does anyone decide to leave the building because I don't even want to be in that kind of place. I'm afraid the lightning might strike them and I don't want to get caught in it. Does anybody think to themselves, what is he doing here? What is she doing here? Starting to understand what it's like to see the tax collectors gathering to hear Jesus? What if the ex-spouse, your ex-husband, your ex-wife who hurt you walked in today? What if a convicted child molester, someone that you know all about their story walked in? You could fill in the blank. All these other things that other people have done and we look at them as being somehow worse than us, now you understand what these people are thinking when they see tax collectors gathering to hear Jesus. What makes matters worse in Jesus' situation is that it's not just one of them who shows up that day. Instead, it would seem that they came in groups. They all got together and said, let's go hear what this Jesus has to say. They're labeled as tax collectors and sinners, the religious and social outcasts of the Jewish community the last people whom you would think would be interested in following such a spiritual and religious leader. But here they are, eagerly waiting to hear what the Lord would say. I already told you why the tax collectors were hated. What about the sinners that are referenced here? After all, aren't we all sinners, every one of us? Yes, actually we are. But apparently, some sin was considered to be more acceptable than others. Or maybe a more accurate way to look at it was that sinners were those who didn't do enough to make up for their own sin. It wasn't that the religious leaders were not sinners, but at least they were trying to not be sinners. These were Jews who were not observant of religious laws. They likely made no effort to attend synagogue on the Sabbath, to offer sacrifices or prayers at the temple, or follow even the Old Testament law. They were expressly known for their unrighteous lifestyles. Some of them likely had very unsavory occupations. I picture there were probably some prostitutes in that group that day. According to the Old Testament law, such people were labeled as unclean, and the faithful Jew was to have nothing to do with such people. About the only thing worse would have been to have a Gentile or a Samaritan come in for the meal. At least these people were Jews, if only by birth. You have a Gentile and a Samaritan in here, that might be a little bit worse. We don't talk to those kinds of people. By the way, it should be noted. That Jesus often chose to interact with those kinds of people. We see him sitting for a meal with a group of tax collectors in the house of Levi. We see him having a personal conversation with a woman who has been married five times and is now living with another man who is not her husband. We see him comforting and restoring a woman who had been caught in adultery. We see him physically touching those who were unclean to ease their disease, to remove the disease. And we see him allowing a prostitute to wash his feet with her own hair. This is just a part of who he is. Yes, Jesus is holy and righteous. I told you earlier, he has set the standard for goodness, and we could never measure up. But here he is, he chooses to dwell among those who are sinners. But not everybody liked that. I just mentioned the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her own hair. Listen to that encounter as recorded in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, There was this expectation that if Jesus knew who that woman was and the type of life that she has lived, there's no way he would allow her to even touch his feet. You see, she is unclean because of the lifestyle that she has chosen. That means Jesus has now become unclean. He must not be a prophet. I want you to know that Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. He knew exactly what kind of woman she was just as he knew who these tax collectors and sinners were in our primary passage today. He just had a different perspective on them. The religious folks, and when I say religious, I'm not talking about the spiritually sound. The people who knew the law, but didn't necessarily keep it. The people who had expectations for other people, but they themselves didn't always live up to the standard of God's word. The religious people saw nothing more than the sin of their past. Jesus saw hearts that longed for connection and relationship with him. Jesus saw people who were already created in his image. And yes, they've made poor choices along the way, but Jesus saw what they could become with a fully surrendered life to him. So often we've been labeled by our past, all the failures, all the bad decisions that we've made. I want to be labeled not by my past, but by my my present and future. That I find in Jesus Christ. So instead of the religious folks celebrating over the possibility that such people might find grace and transformation through an encounter with Jesus Christ, we find bitterness and disgust. I gave you the example of all those ungodly people that might show up to church on Sunday. What would you think if they sat beside you? That was the question. Would you get up and move? Would you get up and leave? Would you ask, why are they even here? But What if? What if in the midst of the service, the Spirit moved in their hearts and lives were changed and the things that identified them from the past no longer identified them in the future? What if God transformed their life just as he has offered to transform each of our lives? See, Jesus welcomes all. Anyone who has ears, let them hear. And what is it that they will hear? Jesus proceeds to share a series of stories. They're all similar in nature, reflecting on the joy that comes with someone moving from the position of found, of lost, to being found. First, he tells the parable of the lost sheep. Now, I want you to keep in mind these parables are in direct response to the ugliness from the religious people. They don't like the fact that Jesus has these tax collectors and sinners hanging out with him. So, Jesus tells a parable, actually, three. First, he tells the parable of the lost sheep a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them has wandered off. Jesus is talking to people, they live in an agrarian society. He's in a country that is full of sheep and shepherds. And he asks them a simple question there in verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? You know, several years ago, someone had taken my dog out for a walk. Some of y'all probably remember when this happened. Somehow the dog got loose a couple miles or so from the house. She was only a puppy, and actually she was only with us at that point for a couple of weeks. So we set out to find her. We searched for hours. And after a while, it became dark, and I'm out walking the streets of our town with a flashlight, calling out the dog's name, while knowing that she probably doesn't even know her name yet. I will tell you, there were other animals that I heard. I think that one house, there might have been a cross between a bear and a dog. Somehow they had crossbreeded. That thing scared me half to death. But I'm out there looking for this dog because I know that it is important. We even had other people in the community helping to look for our dog. Finally, I gave up. I want you to know, that's the one difference from this story. Jesus will not give up on searching for the lost sheep. But finally, I gave up. I figured we would have to try again in the morning. So the next morning, I got up early and headed outside to look for the dog, but when I opened the door, there sat this little puppy. And I don't know what he got in, but it smelled really bad. <laughs> Nasty, had an awful stench about her, but she had found her way home. You know, one of the biggest differences between a sheep and a dog is the fact that a wandering sheep will never find his way home on his own. They're clueless. they I know some of y'all may be animal lovers. I'm just telling you. They're dumb animals. (laughs) Add to that the fact that they have no natural means of protection. They're not like a skunk that can spray the other animals. They don't have sharp teeth to be able to defend themselves or even claws. They're very much dependent upon others to look after them. And that's where the good shepherd comes into play. The good shepherd certainly sees the financial value of the sheep. He doesn't want to lose even one. But it's more than just the financial value of these sheep. He also loves the sheep, caring for each animal individually. That's why later Jesus will talk about the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is that good shepherd. So Jesus poses this question to these people who are very familiar with sheep and how much they need a good shepherd. Immediately, the shepherds in the crowd get what Jesus is saying. How many of you, if you had 99 sheep and one was missing, how many of you would leave to go get the one even though you've still got 99 there? Maybe these tax collectors and sinners are like those lost sheep in need of a shepherd who will get into the filth and the stench of their world for the sake of rescuing them. But just in case there were those who didn't get Jesus's point, he tells them another story. This time it's about a woman who has lost a coin. She started out with 10 and apparently they were incredibly precious to her. Of course they are. It's money. The Jews were oppressed by the Roman government. They couldn't afford to waste their money or to simply lose coins in the seat of the cushions on their couch. Immediately upon recognizing that she has lost this coin, she is filled with an incredible sense of urgency to go out and find it. She can't sleep until she finds it. She likely even calls her neighbors to go and help her look. Remember in that day and time, the houses weren't like our houses. They likely didn't have many windows. There was a door, but the reality is those houses were primarily pretty dark. So maybe the coin was sitting out in the open and she just didn't see it. So she invites others to come and help her look. This is a very big deal to her. And as Jesus tells this story, every woman in the audience or every husband who has seen this happen, or maybe it's even happened to him, every person in the audience would know exactly what Jesus is talking about. They understand the urgency and the passion that drives this search for that which was lost. I know most of us don't think too much about such things. Coins fall out of our pockets and we just brush it off. I'll tell you, I'm one of those cheapskates. If I see a penny laying on the ground, I don't care if it's on heads or tails, I'm picking it up. Because to me, man, that's money. But the reality is, it meant even more to them. The pastor I grew up under was a man named Charles Beach, a great man. He grew up in a very different era, though. He was the 18th child in a farming family where they had more kids just so they could have more workers on the farm. I remember hearing him relate this passage to his own family. He joked that had he gone missing, they might not have even noticed for a few weeks because there were 17 other kids. But the truth is that his parents still would have done whatever it took to find their missing child. He may have just been one among many, but he was still too important for them to allow him to remain lost. Of course, the image that is portrayed in this parable is one that illustrates how valuable the lost are to God, even the tax collectors and sinners, and why there ought to be a sense of urgency to find that which was lost. Do you still have that sense of urgency to find that which was lost? Certainly, Jesus couldn't afford to wait until another opportunity to minister to these tax collectors and sinners. His time was short. It wouldn't be long before Jesus would be arrested and Jesus' time on earth would be come to an end. But you know what? Our time on earth is going to come to an end soon too. There's a reason for us to be urgent in reaching those who are lost even today. Well, I didn't have the final parable read to you this morning, but it's the parable of the prodigal son. I'll tell you part of the reason I didn't have it read to you is because I think you all probably have heard it a dozen times at least. Sometimes he's referred to as the prodigal son. Maybe it's the wayward or the wasteful son. It should be noted that he doesn't actually get lost in the story so much as the father likely felt as if he had lost his son. The son wanders off to live a life that is separate from his father, embracing a lifestyle that is filled with irresponsibility and waste, everything that the father apparently had not embraced. Can you imagine the heartbreak that this father would feel as he longed for his boy to return home? knowing that he's probably out there wasting everything that he had, that he's probably putting himself in vulnerable positions, knowing that his son was not honoring his father nor the Lord. I also can't help but wonder how many parents here today have grieved over a wayward child. When we think of our children We're reminded of Isaiah 53, 6, which says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and we look at the choices that our children are making, and it breaks our hearts to see where they are. They are our kids. Maybe even today, there are those in this congregation who are praying for that moment when our children will once again come to their senses. When the day comes that this boy, in the story of the prodigal son, when the day comes that he comes to his senses, the father offers no sense of judgment or disgust because of his son's poor choices. The father knew that, man, you've been really wasteful. And he probably could have rebuked him over and over again could have told him all about, I told you, I tried to warn you, but you went off and you did it anyways. You don't see any of that. He doesn't have to do any of that. The son already knows that things have not worked out the way he had imagined. Instead, the father simply rejoices over the son that was lost, but has now been found. It should be noted that in all three of these stories, there is a reason for celebration upon finding that which was lost. In the parable of the lost sheep, we read that he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In the parable of the lost coin, we read that when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin." And in the parable of the prodigal son, the father rejoices, throwing a great feast to celebrate this much-longed-for occasion. Next Sunday, we are going to baptize a number of people from this church. There will be baptisms in the first service and in the second service. Each of these individuals has made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, surrendering their lives to him. And in each situation, what we're talking about is individuals who have moved from being lost to being found. And as such, we have great reason to rejoice. I find it interesting that in each of these stories, each of these parables, Jesus includes others in the celebration. The shepherd calls his friends, The woman calls her friends and neighbors, and the Father invites everyone to participate in the feast. What they're saying is, look what I found. There's so much excitement. They're overwhelmed because of this great event, and they cannot keep it to themselves. You know, it's a whole lot more fun to celebrate when you've got others to celebrate alongside you. Yesterday, Michael and I had the privilege of attending the Clemson football game. This was much better than last week, i just saying. <laughs> At one point, there was an incredible play where one of the running backs, Will Shipley, hurtled the Louisville player and then ran into the end zone. I saw it on TV afterwards, but it paled in comparison to what it looked like live and in person. It was right in front of us where it happened. I began to celebrate and immediately turned to give Michael a high five because of what we saw. It's always more fun to celebrate when others are part of that celebration with you. That's a part of why we will be shouting and screaming next Sunday as people are being baptized. Jesus tells us in the parable, I heard Hannah read it earlier. In the parable of the lost sheep, where it says that there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And we're going to give each of these people who are being baptized a glimpse of what that celebration was like. I want to close with one last important thing. In each of these illustrations, each of these parables, we see that someone had a story to tell. They were excited. They couldn't keep quiet about it. I want you to know today that I have a story to tell. I was a sinner who struggled with all kinds of sin. But more than that, I was a sinner who was lost and destined for an eternity in hell. But Jesus reached into my dirty, disgusting life. He invited me to eat with him like the tax collectors and the sinners, to have a personal connection, a personal relationship with him. And then he proceeded to change me from the inside out. Yes, I am still a work in progress, but I'm not the same person that I was back then. I love to be able to say that I have a story to tell. I wonder, do you have a story to tell? My guess is that every person in this room, God has at least begun your story. My hope is that your story includes being moved from lost to found, having redemption, moving from death to life. When was the last time you shared your story? I wonder who needs to hear your story. I wonder if there are people that you deal with every day that need to hear that God can transform, that God can redeem a life regardless of where they've been. Would you consider telling your story to someone this week? I remember challenging church in this way. It's been probably six or seven years ago and I didn't know what came of that service. Nobody said anything to me, at least not right away. About a year passed and I was out doing a work project out here in between the Family Life Center and the church and a car drove up and it was a guy that I hadn't seen in church in a long time and he said, I was in that service when you asked us to tell our story. He said, the moment I got up, I felt conviction that I needed to go tell that story to my mom. He said, she was fine physically, but she needed to hear it. She responded to the grace of Jesus Christ. On that day, her life was changed. Two weeks later, she died of a heart attack. He said, I want you to know that me sharing my story that day changed everything for my mom. Do you have a story to tell? Who needs to hear your story? Maybe it's time to open up. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are so grateful that you look upon us and all of our sin, all of our filth, and you long for relationship with us. It's not because we deserve it. The fact is, we're probably the least deserving. Yet you invite us. Anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Father, I pray today that we would hear the truth and we would respond to it, that we would be like these tax collectors and sinners who discovered a relationship with you and thereby found grace. Father, if there be one here today that does not know you, I pray that right now you would speak to their hearts, that they would truly experience you. That they would know what it is to move from death to life, to move from lost to found. Father, I pray for the forgiveness of sins. Father, I also pray that you would help us as the body of Christ to share the story that you have given to us. Lord, we rejoice over it because we know what we could have been. We know what you've done. We know how you've transformed our lives. And we simply, or well, we are grateful. But help us to tell our story so that the rest of the world may know that they too can find grace and forgiveness and cleansing and hope and the promise of eternal life. Father, I pray that you would use us as your instruments that might change the lives of other people we'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank each of you for being a part of our service. And I simply challenge you today, instead of just saying, go in peace, which is what I always say, go out and tell your story to someone else who needs to hear it. Thank you for being with us today.